you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me as always, I hope, my co-host, Kirk. <laughs> as promised, as promised, Kirk's going to do that for the entirety of this episode while I give my review. Um, I have your other co-host, Cam, and we, as Kirk's sound effects, uh, self-made sound effects, I should say, and uh, green screen background suggest are reviewing a film this week that is called White Noise, directed by Noah Baumbach, who is uh, Academy Award winner, I believe, for uh, screenplay for Marriage Story, and is uh, a multi-time really great director. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's not based on any sort of anything other than my personal opinion. Um, he has directed some good films, okay? Uh, so that's what we're going with. Oh, I love it. Not to be confused with 2005's White Noise with Michael Keaton, the uh, supernatural thriller where his wife is uh, has passed and he is seemingly oh. communicating with her and other dead people through the white noise of technological devices. Have you seen that movie, Cam? I have not seen that movie, but I was I am now annoyed by that movie because I, it popped <laughs> up multiple times as I was trying to find images of this movie to use on the podcast. So yeah, you have Michael. I've I've seen the movie. You have Michael Keaton just like touching the screen, you know, almost poltergeist style, and he's just like looking at it, and then like there's all these jump scares in it. Um, man, when I was, you know, when you're younger. And you just think like when you see a movie, it's automatically good. Like yeah. that kind of blissful state of life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great state of life. That's, that's, that's a great what place I kind to of be. thought like with white noise and I watched it. I was like, that was so good. I yeah. loved it. Absolutely incredible. I can't believe I'm so lucky to see it. Uh-huh. Uh, 5.5 rating on IMDb.com. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. It could be worse. Um, but Noah Baumbach, by the way, did not win an Academy Award for Marriage Story. He, he was nominated. What a loser. He's accomplished nothing. Wow. Gosh. What a hack. Um, Just uh, has millions of dollars, but no awards. It's so. my fault that I'm attributing fake awards to him. He has obviously been nominated for, for many awards over the course of his illustrious uh, career and has written many good films, including some for, for Wes Anderson, but has also... Uh, you know, written Francis Ha, The Squid and the Whale, um, directed a, a, a bunch of films, including, I believe, both of those that I just mentioned. So, yes, yeah, let's let's get into this movie, which is called White Noise. It is based on the, um, well, I'm going to do the synopsis, so I'll just, I'll just get into it right now. Uh, it's based on a 1980s novel by Don DeLillo that I have not read, so we'll be talking about that a little bit. Um, it is a, a very interesting novel, as you probably could have guessed if you watched the movie. We will be talking about spoilers in this review, so make sure you have seen the movie if you are uh, listening to this review. But basically, it takes place in the 80s. Um, <laughs> the gist of the movie I will try my best to explain, as it is quite a wild ride, is that uh, Adam Driver's character is a professor at a local university, who teaches on um, Hitler, of all things. He is the foremost expert 
on on Hitler, and his name is Jack. He's he's married uh, to Babette, who is played by Greta Gerwig, and they have a uh, a family, a sort of sort of blended family, um, based on a bunch of different kids from different marriages, and I think they have you know four or five kids total between them, and they it's it's mostly uh, a family comedy drama uh, you know for the, for the better part of the film it's kind of about uh you know really just just life and and them making it through life when a what they call an airborne toxic event occurs there are uh, there is a, a train crash a train derailment um when a, a train carrying toxic waste hits a, a very flammable truck in a in a very comedic fashion there is a giant explosion and toxic waste is spewed into the air. Um, so the, the city is kind of coming to grips with that and trying to understand they're, they're trying to follow the directions that they're being given. And, uh, you know, his character is exposed to the toxic waste and they're trying to figure out he's, he's kind of half-heartedly trying to figure out if he is dying. And, um, the whole thing just kind of revolves around that, narrative but there it's it's a very thematic movie it's a very interpretive movie where the narrative is sort of second fiddle to to the larger um theme-based things that are going on in the movie and the narrative is so wacky and and so um just just offbeat (laughs) that it it's uh it, it you know it's it's hard to describe it really is it's, it's kind of like nothing you've ever seen before and i think that there is perhaps a reason that this film has not been adapted or this book has not been adapted in the film um until 40 years later there, there's perhaps yes. a reason for that yeah it's crazy to think that it's 40 years later that's uh horrifying to think as someone who was yes technically born in the 80s as my wife likes to say she wouldn't have married me if i was born in 1990 however i'm only about 17 days into uh, before 1989 <laughs> ended. Um, yeah, this movie was long uh, hailed as an unfilmable movie adaptation. And here we are in 2020, well, were in 2022, uh, making this film with Noah Baumbach. So, bravo. Lots to discuss. Yes, lots to discuss. Um, definitely an all-star cast here with a lot of uh, huge names, including writer-director Greta Gerwig, who is also... Um, Noah Baumbach's ex-wife and uh, are they what is their relationship status oh let me check Facebook here real quick (laughs) (laughs) because I I am confused because I believed I thought that marriage story was based on their separation and divorce uh, and yet people refer to them as being like together so I'm confused as to what is uh, what is going on with them yeah, I was hoping that that was about like a different relationship. First child in 2019. Are they, are they, uh, is that his spouse? Are they still married? This is great. This is great radio here. I mean, it's <laughs> was was marriage wasn't marriage We're having technical glitches? Hold on. <laughs> wasn't marriage story based on their divorce or their. Like when they went through, I thought for sure it was. 
I thought for December sure 1st, 2022, they're expecting their second baby, so it cannot be, unless it was about a potential separation. Or was it about Noah Baumbach's separation from his first spouse? I don't know. I don't know. Well I'm, I'm misinformed, been. clearly. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, I guess uh, there are things. So I did not, I did not know that. Um, I mean, I I had heard people talking about them being a couple, and so I was like, oh, they must be back together or what? Uh, I don't know. So original um, muse for marriage story. I'll send I'll Kirk on the hunt. Talk. I'll send Kirk on the hunt <laughs> while I while I talk about this. But let's get into the acting performances to begin with, as we always do which uh, we'll start with and the Oscar goes to, which goes to um, who Kirk and I believe is the best actor in the film. It gives the best performance. Mine is going to someone who's really becoming a favorite of mine. And that is Mr. Adam driver. Um, (laughs) This, this role is hilarious as Jack. He's, he's asked to do some really funny things because this character is an absolute mess and a half. And yet is, uh, is uh, so, so similar to all of us in many ways in that this character is afraid of everything that could possibly happen in the future, but is not at all afraid of what's happening in the moment. He is, he is like hilariously aloof to what is going on around him, and is, but is constantly panicking about what is to come. He fears death. He fears, uh, you know, embarrassment ridicule at, at the hands of his peers and, and people who look at him, um, but always in the, in the sort of future tense, which I find funny as they're like dealing with this airborne toxic event. He really is just like, ah, it's fine. What, you know, it's whatever. But whenever he's potentially exposed to it, he's like, so how will I know if this thing is going to kill me? You know, he's always, he's always worried about the future. It's a very funny character, but this character also acts as our conduit, our um, guide into this sort of surreal world. And, and I find that Adam Driver does such an excellent job of being our guide, you know, kind of like the uh, the guy in, in Greek mythology. Man, I'm just I'm just on the ball today with my references. <laughs> the guy who who navigates the uh the river sticks or whatever. Um, uh, percent, no. Uh, <laughs> Adam Driver is that guy, right? I'll look that up too. <laughs> what an absolute mess. Uh, first podcast of the year. We're doing great. We're doing great. Um, but he he's great because he is sort of, in some ways, he's just as baffled by everything that's happening in his world as us, and so that's really fun. Um, but he's also you know, a character in this world and, and is just as absurd as everything that's going on in this world at times. But I find that his reactions were oftentimes shown shots of his face as he is reacting to information that was just given to him. And it's, it's what he does so well in this movie is, is to react in exactly the right way to tell us how to feel, to tell the person who's watching how to feel and to move the story and the themes in the direction that they need to go in order for the film to be effective. Adam Driver does a spectacular job. Um, I think, you know, when you look at this dialogue, it's Noah Baumbach has written a ton of films. They always have a bit of a, I shouldn't say always, but sometimes, when, especially when they're absurd or farcical in nature or, or certainly comedic in nature as his films kind of always are. Um, 
the the sort of rhythm and cadence of the dialogue is very unique and and the characters tend to speak in a way that you wouldn't really hear in the real world. So I thought that Adam driver did a good job of navigating that, making it feel um, natural the way that he was speaking, even though it it is altogether unnatural at times to what we would be used to hearing. Um, So overall, I think just really great work. I think Adam driver is one of these guys now that you can just count on to consistently turn in great performance after great performance and to really, give you your money's worth or in this case your your hours worth on netflix um to whenever you sit down to watch one of his movies so kudos to adam driver uh my best actor for this film and now we interrupt our programming for a little bit of fact checking on yes Popcorn for breakfast. do it fact check me um so to go back most immediately to the river sticks this is something that i did not know and this is something <laughs> after I, I knew that there was a ferryman but I did not know That's right. his name. I have watched countless hours of Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules from Sam Raimi, and I'm terrified that I didn't know this. Um, pronunciation, uh, Sharon? Sharon? Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking of. Or in the Roman world, Sherus. Uh, so those are that's the that's the name. He's gonna you have to pay the ferryman in order to go to Hades. Uh, Adam well, Driver is that guy. Yes, <laughs> and white noise is the river sticks. <laughs> Gosh, help me. Help, send help. I love it. And then what we, and the other one, backing up to um, what is the the, the source material for uh, A Marriage Story, uh, directed by Noah Baumbach, whatever year that was, <laughs> didn't fact check that. 2019. Um, 2019. Thank you very much. This was in relation to his uh, two things, that he is a child of divorce, so there are memories from that. Okay, okay. Uh, which is, if you've seen uh, The Squid and the Whale, heavily the whole thing is about ch- children of divorce uh, with him and Jeff Daniels and Jesse Eisenberg. And then if we go back to the the source material, but you know, some of the the divorce from his parents and then also his real life divorce from actress, Jennifer Jason, Jennifer Lee. Jason Lee. That's right. That's what it and, is. And we have said her name. We've discussed her on this podcast. I know for a fact, because she is the lead in the hateful eight, which is Tarantino's probably least liked film, at least for my opinion. Um, of all of his nine films so far. So yeah, I think, uh, I think we're caught up to date. Is there anything else we want to explain? No, no, I'm glad. I'm glad that you cleared that up because I thought for sure uh, somewhere in my brain, it got twisted and I knew that he was married to Jennifer Jason Lee at some point. So this is all making a lot more sense. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah, for me too. For me too. Uh, my Oscar tonight will also go to Sir Adam Driver. Um, hopefully, I don't repeat the exact same things as Cameron as I was wildly typing on my computer keyboard a moment ago. But what I love, I'll just hit the highlights here of Adam Driver, was his accent was just incredible. And not not necessarily a specific accent, but just his vocal work in this role of this naive yet brilliant man. And I want to say that some of the most brilliant people that I know, some of the most focused, um, intelligent people I know have zero street smarts. Throughout this film, we see Adam Driver take all of this advice from his kids or stepkids, and it's hilarious. And it's also kind of uh, just like, very trusting of him and also uh, expresses the innocence that Adam driver throws into this character from the script work is that his kids are saying, you can't do that. He's like, well, I can't do that. Okay. What can I do? And he's not just um, bulldozing his kids as any one of us can be guilty of. I know I'm guilty of it, you know, trying to have the right answer um, and really just 
listening, just really listening. But when it comes to Hitler, you better watch out because he knows everything about that that evil man. Um, the comedic timing uh, Adam Driver exhibits throughout this this piece uh, of white noise is absolutely incredible. Had me cackling uh, in the middle of the night. I think I watched this at 11 o'clock at night and I was just howling. And I love his withdrawal from conflict. Um, every time something Ruff comes up until the pivotal moment where he finally has to confront confront Greta Gerwig, his Babette, his wife. Um, when he confronts her, he's like, I've got the information. I know about the pills. I know that there's a motel. Tell me what's going on. And she is devious about this and that. And and he's just like, no, you're not going to sidestep this. They're okay. And then he steps back. It's like, okay, you could ignore that fact. But tell me this fact. Tell me his name. Tell me where. Tell me this. Tell me that. So but all up until then, we don't see this side of him. So that full arc, that full build, this just this boiling teapot that we're waiting uh, to to explode finally happens in that scene. And that that build, that arc to that moment is brilliant by Adam Driver. Uh, just just really fun and fascinating to watch. He pulls you through specifically uh, just so wonderfully scene to scene, which I always marvel on with at, with film actors because these things are not shot chronologically as a reminder to our listeners. So that means that when he was doing his script work, he was specifically saying, this is you know part one of seven scenes before we get to the big moment but he might be filming scene seven first and scene three and then two and then six and then one depending on the set schedule so always impressive adam driver he just continues to kill it never in a million years would i have imagined that we would have had this gift in an actor good job adam yeah he's great um He's he's he, you know like I said I think he's really just turned into one of those guys at least for me I I see him and I go okay this is gonna be good you know and that's part of the reason we talked about that movie that should be just as dumb as a box of rocks that movie sixty five that's coming out earlier or uh, early this year should be awful right like on paper and yet you see him on the cast list and you see him out there doing his thing and it's like all right two tickets for sixty five please <laughs> you know let's <laughs> let's go check it out. So I, I think it's it's remarkable how quickly he's risen to that acclaim, and, and I think it's well-deserved. I think he's really one of the best going right now. Um, mm-hmm. All right, scene stealer, the one who stole the scene. This one, for me, is easy, and I uh, it's a true scene stealer in every sense of the word, and it's someone who I don't give flowers to often on this program, and that's Mr. Don Cheadle, who is not a guy that you expect to pop up on a Noah Bombach cast list necessarily. Um, he's done... You know, he was in um, he was in Licorice Pizza, and he's done a lot of or not sorry, not Licorice Pizza. I'm thinking of the other Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights, is what I'm thinking of. He's he's been in indie films like this where he plays kind of like quirkier uh, roles, and um, he he always does a great job. But what what I found so amazing about his performance in this movie is how seamlessly he took this dialogue and made it work. He, his, all of his line reads were so on point and he was effortlessly hilarious, totally devoted to the character. I mean, he was just extremely detail oriented in his approach with this movie and his character was awesome. I just, I, every time he was on the screen, you were laughing, you were having a good time. He was just totally, uh, capturing you with everything he was doing um and i you know i i was so knocked i I was absolutely knocked off my socks um by that and 
that's really all I have to say about it. I think the way that he fit within this world, it was like he was born in it. It was crazy. He he just really um, understood the vision, and and that's that's sometimes, you know, sometimes it seems like an actor just has like a light bulb moment with the movie, and they they click with the director, and they're like, okay, I know exactly what you're going for, and they just deliver, and that's exactly what it seems like Don Cheadle did in this movie. He's he's a total scene stealer in every sense of the the phrase. Agreed. He is also my scene stealer, Don Cheadle. Um, he, I feel like his role was underutilized. We lost track of him way too soon. Uh, he just kind of disappears after laying the foundation for uh, the theme uh, of things that we cannot control, which is a very great one and, and very well executed here. Um, but the time that we do have, boy, oh boy, it's really, really fun. Uh, definitely worthy of this role. Um, his wacky works so much better, uh, specifically Don Cheadle, than his hyper-realistic roles. Um, every time I see him in a, in a role where he's trying to play such a real person, it doesn't fit. But then you get this wacky... Um, local college professor, and this is exactly what I want. I think it must have been a switch for him when he did, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, all the fact-checking needed tonight, <laughs> but uh, maybe it was Funny or Die, where he played Captain Planet, <laughs> but just like an absurd version of Captain Planet live action, which, please, if, the, if we could get a full feature film of that, I'm down for it, because he dives in with such... Uh, just such brevity, such uh, fearlessness to to these wackier roles. Um, I, even even the likes of Space Jam too. I, I think I gave him an award then too because I was just so excited for the shape that he took on. Uh, and I, I just can't I can't imagine giving this specific award to anyone else tonight. Don Cheadle, scene stealer, bravo. All right, we're two for two. We'll see how we match up in the rest of the review. I, you know, those those two really did stick out, though. So I feel like it's it's one of those things where I would have been a little bit surprised if we didn't match up on those two. To be quite honest with you, even though there are great performances, it's just that those two are so key and and fit so well with the way that we've defined those categories that it just it makes sense. It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the production. Um, this is this is fun because I you know this production and the production design is is so 80s but like surreal 80s like like 80s in a memory you know like 80s in a, a nostalgic version of it and so it's a really fun um, look into this world and it's a really interesting world that they've built but let's talk about the movie and how it's structured and built and all those things and, and what worked and what didn't let's start with what worked and that'll be our showstopper. For me, um, what what really stole the show for me was this this sort of kinetic energy that this film has, meaning that there's constantly um, motion and there's constantly talking and there's all of these things. And, and the reason that that's important in this movie is is this idea of form follows function. So um, you know, I, I'm reading the book right now, so this is timely. I'm reading the book by Sidney Lumet. Academy Award-winning director uh, called Making Movies, and he talks about this, how whenever you're making a movie, the question you have to ask first is, what is the movie about? And that question determines how the movie will be told. So when I look at this movie and I interpret it, um, having not read the novel and and not really knowing anything about it, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, um, is that it's kind of about the human condition in the sense that it's about like, 
we are, um, we, we, we fear death and, and we're constantly getting all these inputs, but we're also, we're also looking for answers to help us not be afraid. But because we're doing that, we're creating more noise and we're creating more fear in doing that. It's like, think about how, um, you, uh, I don't know, you have a headache in a weird spot on your head and the natural response is to Google it and find an answer. Well, then you end up finding all these new things to be afraid of that weren't even on your radar before. And that's sort of what this is about. It's all the, all the things that we as humans create in our lives, the fear and the role we play in our own insanity. And so when you think about white noise and you think about that, the idea that there needs to be constant talking and constant mo- movement and motion in this film is critical to executing that theme through the actual production of the movie. And so I loved that. Um, and I also think it just gives the movie a really great feel. It just, it just keeps it, you know, um, there's lots of insane things going on and there's lots of hilarious things going on, but the whole time the, the movie feels live. It feels lively. It feels like it's moving. And I think that that's, that's important because whenever a movie is a little bit avant-garde or when, when the narrative is bizarre, sometimes there's a tendency to want to like disconnect a little bit because you're like, okay, this is getting too weird for me. But because the energy's there and because you can feel it and you can hear it and it's it's such so pleasing to kind of take in, um, it, it works. And so that that idea, that kinetic energy and the concept, the fact that it ties into the themes and the whole form follows function idea is uh, it's just great filmmaking and, and you love to see it. So I, I that's my showstopper here. I don't think I've ever I mean Probably yes, but one of the most mark that down as one of the most eloquent responses you've ever said. I loved it. That's really just thank you, sir. Thank you. I I loved it so much. Mine is going to be about uh, movement and choreography uh, throughout this film. I've got two sub points for this. Um, First, of course, we have the maybe my my favorite scene of the whole movie, and this is what sparked uh, you know the showstopper. What got my attention the the biggest moment is the 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 impromptu lecture that we get with adam driver and don (laughs) Cheadle. no surprise that the oscar and the scene stealer winners tonight get that as well because you have don Cheadle is trying to get uh just clout for to be the elvis expert on campus and adam driver is the hitler expert and he and don Cheadle thinks that if he can you know weasel his way in and get someone who is so intelligent and so uh, acclaimed on campus as Adam Driver to come and speak at this impromptu lecture in this open lecture hall in a very Greek way. Uh, speaking of Greek <laughs> and the River Styx, uh, that they, that the, the the students are are sitting on steps so that way they can project and speak up. And it really is like a Greek play they put on. And, and Don Cheadle is speaking, and out of nowhere, Adam Driver swoops in and starts talking about. Hitler juxtaposed against Elvis and and how they are uh, both these these incredible figures that everyone knows no matter what and what makes them tick and what makes the, the people attracted to them which then folds into the whole um, you know be a, be weary of uh, the person who stands up and gets a crowd to come you know basically beware of false prophets uh, which then we see later at the quarantine campsite where the man with the television uh, you know that you know entertainment and news and everything knowledge 
transition inputs, like Cam said, where that comes into play again. That whole choreographed scene right there, though, of entering and exiting to for that lecture is absolutely brilliant i loved it i loved every second of it i love the insanity of it especially when at one point uh, adam driver in his weird robe that he, that he likes to wear as his professor status uh just like almost like attacks them like uh, like if, if it was her his <laughs> batman cape he pops out and just like leaps at the camera it's so fantastic and then sub point to the grocery store we get the grocery store at the beginning and we get a long scene there. Lots of conversations happen in there. He's talking with his daughters. He's tr- he's taking on information. He is trying to solve problems. He's trying to um, learn from his family and trying to meet everyone's needs. And then at the end, the incredible uh, dance number, please stick around as the credits are rolling. It's wonderful. The mundaneness of it all, the going through the motions and, and how something as simple as going to the grocery store can be so monumental. You might have incredible conversations in the weirdest places. Um, just all, all of those things wrapped into one and, and how everything is just, uh, uh, lined up and, and aesthetically like the choreo, the choreograph uh, of putting things in and taking them out that to just like, shakes you to your core in inexplainable and unexplainable ways. So the choreography and, and movement of this film are very well executed. I love it. And I love the, I love the grocery store as the kind of microcosm for the whole thematic base of this movie, because it's like in the grocery store, the, you know, it's, it's been well documented. The grocery store is meant to overwhelm you that's it's actually designed to do that with the fluorescent lights and the no windows and the you know the the, like the tile floors and, and and everything the bright lights and the colors and all of that and when you talk about a movie that's about white noise and about data intake and how there's too much going on and it's too loud around us like that's the perfect that's the perfect little sub uh cat like uh the the little like one thing that encapsulates the whole theme. It's, it's really, yes. really well done. Um, okay. Let's talk about director shoes and some of the things <laughs> that we would do otherwise. I have to say um, really for me, it comes down to the narrative and, and this thing is broken into three acts. It's kind of, it's kind of cordoned off into three acts, which are named, you know, they actually give them names as they're going through it. And, it's it's hard as you're watching it to understand how the acts of the film tie together. I think this movie does an excellent job, and, and Kirk and I have already given a couple of different examples of um, introducing a theme and following it through to fruition to make sure that it pays off. I think the themes are good and rich and there, um, but I think it at times does so at the expense of the narrative. I think there are a lot of times scenes, including that lecture scene, that makes a ton of sense on a thematic level, but makes a lot less sense on a narrative level. And so at times in this movie, you're just, you're, if you're someone who's following the story closely, um, there would be plenty of places for you to go, okay, but why does this matter for the story that you're telling? Um, And how does it get us here? And, the answer in a lot of those cases is that it doesn't. I mean, it ties into the narrative in the sense that the narrative is meant to overall deliver the themes, but it has to make sense and be cohesive too. 
and I, again, have not read the novel, so maybe that's the reason people called this novel, whatever they called it, unfilmable or, or un, undoable or whatever, um, because maybe the narrative is so uh, strange and, and just kind of like offbeat and broken up that it doesn't make much sense. But like a lot of what happens at the university, followed by the airborne toxic event, followed by the absolute i don't even know what of act three which is just act three is out there and then some um it's hard to find the the line that ties all of that together i think ultimately the the, like i said the themes are delivered well and it's entertaining throughout but there are plenty of times where you're like okay what do I need to be, what do I need to care about right now as far as the characters and what's going on and, and what they're doing? So I felt like um, that could have been tightened up or just lean away from it a little bit more. You know, there, there are plenty of movies that, I'm thinking about a movie I just watched recently, which was Bananas to the Max, which is that um, Bardo movie by Al- Alejandro D'Inaritu. Um uh, narrative be damned. Let, let me let me throw some themes at you. And there are plenty of films like that for good reason. And I think that this movie struggled to find the balance between um, which direction it wanted to go. And so I think it delivered the themes really well, but delivered the the narrative maybe maybe not as well. Beautiful. And uh, sorry uh, that I coughed right in the microphone uh, just. Oh, before did you? you entered. I didn't even hear it. Oh, good. You'll hear it on playback. It was. <laughs> I was trying to hit the mute button and maybe I did. Uh, maybe it was, it, it got muted, but it was directly while you were talking. So we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> this is all the fun things. Yeah, exactly. We're just episode. really going to work out the kinks here. We're work out the kinks for the new year. It's as if we've never done this before. <laughs> episode two. New year, new us. That doesn't necessarily mean better. It could mean worse. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? My director's shoes. I got to say, I cannot tell you the ending of this movie. I watched it. I remember the grocery store scene. I did not fall asleep. And I cannot tell you what happens after uh, <laughs> after they go to uh, the uh, the motel and they shoot the guy and he gets shot, the toilet. Like, I can't, I can't tell you what happens. And I don't know why. I have no idea why. Um, so the, the story gets abandoned for themes. We start so... It's very similar to Cam, what you said... The story is so powerful at the beginning with sprinkled in themes. Uh, the story is the is the driver. They are the catalyst to give us and then and then or not and then therefore therefore therefore, uh, which is great. And then once we get out of quarantine and there's a time jump, uh, there things get real weird <laughs> and it's hard to follow honestly. So and again, it could be from the source material of the novel and uh, that's why it could be uh, confusing. but it did such a good job up to that point is why it's so disappointing after that where we we kind of get back to it and then we step away from it, we step back into it, we step away from it. So the white noise of it all, we get trapped in and we don't get to see it. We live it. And I, that's not the best way to treat your audience. Um, I will rewatch this again because I do want to figure out which way that Noah Baumbach was leading towards. But I feel like as an audience, we get lost in, in that uh, abyss and that doesn't feel comfortable. 
And if the goal of that is also still to make you feel uncomfortable, if you were so linear at the beginning of the movie and you have linear aspects in the second half of the movie, you have to have that through line still pull you through. Hope all that makes sense. Um, The main plot against Babette fizzles out, even becomes insignificant after that. It's kind of upsetting because it was so good. It was just so strong and their relationship was just excellent. And then Babette, she kind of fizzles out after that as well. We don't really hear a lot from her. So, that's my that's my director's shoes. It's it's very similar. It's very similar, just uh, stated slightly different. I think. Well, it's like you have again, you have a three act structure, a typical three act structure for a film, yeah. and they even go so far as to acknowledge the beginning and end, and therefore the ending of of each one, and to name them. And yet, each act feels like it wouldn't even recognize the act prior. You know, it's like, it's such a departure in so many different ways uh, from the story with very few things pulling through. It's just, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So now I'm like, now I want to read the book because I, and and if that's how the book is done and, and Noah Baumbach made the choice to stay true to the book, you can't necessarily blame him for that. I think you, you do have to decide why am I adapting this to film? I don't know. There, there's a question point there. There's a point there where it's like, do I stay true or do I make this thing gel more? Uh, maybe there's a specific reason he didn't do that. Un- impossible to know without reading the book, but um, I, I totally agree with you there. But let's give final thoughts and scores and and kind of wrap up White Noise, our first review of the year. Um, by the way, this, this movie's available on Netflix for those of you wondering um okay my final thoughts i think this movie is a really good time it is um (laughs) it is very funny and on very many different levels there are lots of times where that comedy is extremely low comedy as in um there's panic at the quarantine site and everybody's driving away and running away and people are getting hit by cars left, right and center <laughs> and a guy's riding by on a horse and they drive into a Creek. It's, it's all like very funny, almost like national lampoon um, funny at times. It even, it even sort of feels like some of those eighties comedies um, at a lot of different points there. And then there are points where it's, it's high comedy and it's just like, them delivering the funniest lines that, that like aren't funny to them in the moment, but are just hitting like just giving you an ultimate gut buster laugh. And it's like every line would hit somebody differently. Um, so it's a really good time. I, I really enjoy, he blends a ton of different styles here at sometimes it's, you know, comedy. A lot of times it's farce. Sometimes it's tragedy. Sometimes it's drama. Sometimes it's horror, uh, which is, I, I guess is a subsection of, of, farce i don't know it depends on who you ask but there are a lot of styles being mixed here which um is a bold choice and i think one that pays off it makes the movie feel live it makes it feel um exciting it keeps you on your toes i think as a as a viewer which is kind of where you want to be throughout this movie versus just kind of like sitting back and letting it happen i think you kind of want to be like ooh, what's what's going to be next but the, the ensemble cast works. I think there's some clunkiness sometimes with the way that people are delivering dialogue and that that's just based on the choice, the writing choices and the way that 
you're writing dialogue in a very different way than how people actually speak. So sometimes that's going to happen. Um, and I think some of that is intentional to a certain degree. And, um, you know, I think the narrative suffers that's, that's been documented in the review, but I think the themes are, are good and rich and well delivered and they resonate with me personally, um, as someone who has many anxieties and is constantly worried about the future and is constantly taking in inputs and, and succumbing to the white noise around him. Um, it's, it certainly hits home. So I thought it was interesting, um, how true this movie still is about life, maybe even more so uh, now that in 2022, and there were even some, some pandemic esque references in there as well that he snuck in. So that was all, that was all very interesting, but it's uh, you know, this is not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I think that's uh, certainly true. And, and if you get through the first act and you're like, I hate this, then just, just leave. Cause I'll be honest with you. It's not going to get better <laughs> for you at that point. Like if you don't enjoy, if you don't enjoy what's happening in act one, I can guarantee you're going to hate what happens after that. So just bail. That's just for free. Um, but for me, it was a good time and I had a lot of fun watching it and, uh, you know, it, it has its issues, but Overall, I think it's a great movie. Solid filmmaking. You can understand why they're making the decisions they're making in most cases. So I'm giving it an 8.3 out of 10 kernels. Kirk, Beautiful. you have the floor. Hello, floor. It is I, Kirk. My score today, um, it's not going to be as high as Cam's, but it's not an abysmal score. I did love like i just said the beginning half of this movie if not 75 percent of this movie and then i felt like i was abandoned i do not believe that um there would be any reason to skip this movie i think you should absolutely try it out i think you should um it, it kind of has a moulin rouge effect if you've ever seen moulin rouge uh there is so much happening it is sensory overload with how much information you take on in the first 10 minutes. And then there is a brief silence uh, where there, I think, I think the family is like walking across a parking lot or something. And then it's like, Oh, I can breathe. No one's talking. No one's throwing anything. There's not something clanking in the background. And that's part of the dance to this. So uh, if, when you watch Moulin Rouge, uh, from Boz Lerman for the first time, there's so much information that you have to take in and process that I hated that movie the first time I watched it, but being trained in that way, um, I was, I, I, as soon as this started, I'm like, Oh, strap in. We've got some stuff to learn. Uh, so be aware. Don't watch this when you're tired. Don't watch this when you've had a long or hard day. Watch this when you're ready to have some fun and you don't have any other stressors on your plate. Uh, you don't have to be the most alert you've ever been, but make sure you have a clear mind and then you can really take this movie in for what it is and uh, match them up those themes uh, and the narrative against your values and film preferences. So all that said, I loved this movie but I didn't love, love this movie. I think it was a great, um, great film work. I think uh, great, uh, if not phenomenal acting uh, by some of our favorites and some pretty impressive uh, child actors in this place uh, and space as well. I'm giving this movie today a 6.7 out of 10 kernels. 
Nice. That's that's respectable. That's res- that's a respectable score. So I think it's safe to say we both liked it, um, yes. just to just to varying degrees, and that's you know that's that's fun. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to chew on with this movie. We we've touched on a lot of it. So if if there are any themes or anything that you picked up on um, that Kirk and I didn't mention, we'd love to hear it. Le- love to hear your thoughts. I, I have many about this film, and, and part of that, you know part of what can build into a score is how much fun you have analyzing it too, which I, which I am certainly uh, fall victim to many times, but I think this is a great, great movie and we both gave it a, a good respectable score. So I like it. Um, check out white noise. Tell us if you liked it. Tell us if you're one of the people who this is not for, I, mean, I know you guys are out there. I, <laughs> I, I, can almost guarantee my wife is one of these people. Uh, she saw, <laughs> I don't know, maybe five minutes of this and was like, what is happening? And I was like, fair. That's a fair question. What is happening? I was asking that question <laughs> during this movie too. Um, so just let us know what your thoughts are. But thank you so much for being here. We've got a new year kicked off on Popcorn for Breakfast. We've got tons of big things in store for you this year. Uh, but most of all, just... Thank you for being here, whether it be in podcast form, YouTube form, and a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, as well as his band, Rhetoric. I don't know what we have in store for you next week, but I can assure you that we will be there in some capacity. So until next week. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.